السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وخاتم النبيين محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسلما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners, I spoke about fitna recently. During the course of that lecture, I also mentioned that Allah and His Rasul have also advised us about what our response should be during periods of fitna. And the truth is, for us, there's no concept of life without fitna. Fitna is part of our lives. As I explained in detail, fitna simply means a test. So, our whole life is a test. The dunya is a test. We are a test for each other. Allah says, وَجَعَلْنَا بَعْضَكُمْ لِبَعْضٍ فِتْنَةٍ وَتَصْبِرُونَ وَكَانَ رَبُّكَ بَصِيرًا We have made some of you a fitna for others. So will you be patient? And your Lord is ever watchful. So we are a fitna. Life is a fitna. Dunya is a fitna. Our wealth is a fitna. <coughs> Our children are a fitna. Our spouses are a fitna. It doesn't mean something negative. Fitna simply means a test. And what kind of test, as I explained, the original meaning of fitna and fitna yiftin, is to assay precious metals. So the process of <coughs> inserting metal ores into the fire and placing them under intense heat and thereby evaluating the purity, quantity and quality of the precious metal contained within that ore, whether it's silver or gold or any other precious metal. This process is the original meaning and name of fitna. And therefore, this is why fitna is called fitna, because it's not just a test, it's a test in which, one, the test isn't easy. It places us under immense, but tolerable strain. And it's a test during which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala distinguishes the pure from the impure, the sincere from the insincere, the true from the false, 
This is the reason why it's called a fitna. As Allah says, مَا كَانُ اللَّهُ لِيَذَرَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ عَلَى مَا أَنْتُمْ عَلَيْهِ حَتَّى يَمِيزَ الْخَبِيثَ مِنَ الطَّيِّبِ Allah is not one to leave the believers as they are and as you are until Allah distinguishes and separates the and removes the impure from the pure. And here Allah is speaking of the believers. So during these fitan, plural of fitna, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will test believers for the quality and purity and the quantity of their faith and their, sincer- and their sincerity. These are minor fitan, minor trials and tests. The minor daily trials and tests and fitna of family, life, children, spouses, wealth, neighbours, everyday occurrences. And then you have the great fitan. Fitan that are all engulfing, all encompassing. Huge scandals, huge conflict, huge confusion. War, strife, discord, disharmony. So whether it's minor, and especially the major ones, what should be the behaviour, the character, and the response of a mu'min, of a believer, in these times of fitna? Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam have both been very clear about this. One of the things consistently mentioned in the hadith about fitna and what the believer should do is to concern yourself with yourself. That's one of the greatest teachings of the hadith in this regard. Concern yourself with yourself. And Allah even mentions that in the Quran. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu alaykum anfusakum la yadurrukum man dalla idha ahtadaytum O believers, concern yourselves with yourselves. Those who, are, those who deviate, they cannot harm you as long as you have found guidance. To Allah is your return. Allah will then inform you of what you used to differ regarding. Now, this is one of the most consistent messages in the hadith that during times of fitna concern yourself with yourself and that means control your speech that's part of concerning yourself with yourself which is don't become involved in matters that do not concern you that are irrelevant to you that make no difference to you Don't become physically involved, mentally involved. Remain detached. Do not open your mouth. Do not say anything in that regard. Do not contribute in any way to the confusion, to the scandal. So guard your tongues. Guard your speech. Observe signs. If possible, try to limit your... Involvement with the people, even if it means confining yourself to your home. Of course, that has to be taken on balance. 
So it doesn't mean one becomes a hermit. Rather, the, uh, if we look at the collection of hadith, what we learn is that one has to be mindful of one's company. <coughs> company has a huge effect. Company influences a person's behaviour, character, mentality, thinking, even speech and mannerisms. So one should opt for good, pious company, which has a positive influence rather than a harmful one. This is part of concerning yourself with yourself. So, and the Prophet ﷺ actually specifically said this about fitna, and there are a number of hadith, for instance, in one hadith related by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad, and also by Imam Abu Dawood in his Sunan, from Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As radiyallahu anhumah he says once we were seated around the Prophet وسلم, when those who were seated the companions they mentioned fitna as I've said before although fitna means test and it can be it has many meanings in the Quran it can mean punishment, it can mean fire, it can mean adab, it can mean test, it can mean disbelief, it can mean confusion, strife. Normally, in the hadith, when fitna is discussed in such detail, it's a reference to major confusion, <coughs> major strife and discord and disharmony, major scandal. So... Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As says we were seated around the Prophet وسلم, when someone when the Sahaba mentioned fitna or fitna was mentioned to Rasulullah. So the Prophet وسلم, said, A time will come upon you when people will be filtered. A thorough filtering. And the words of the hadith are yugharbal. Gharbalatan. And yugharbal means they will be sieved. So just as the chaff is separated from the wheat and the rubbish is separated from the pure through a sieve, that's in Arabic, a sieve is a ghirbal. So the Prophet said people will be sieved and filtered, a thorough filtering. And then only the worst will remain. Amongst the people in the dunya, only the low one, the lowly ones, the worst ones, i.e. the filtered rubbish. Only they will remain. Sorry, only the rubbish will remain. The good will be filtered out. Then the Prophet continued. That when people, their pledges, their pledges will become corrupt and confused. And their trusts will be light. The meaning of this is, a time will come upon the people when a man's word means nothing, will mean nothing. People will make pledges, but the pledges will amount to nothing. People will offer their trust, but their trust will be light and meaningless. They will be unreliable. 
And in another hadith, Prophet وسلم, said that the best of all generations, or the best of all people is my generation, than those who follow them. Than those who follow them. And then, in some of the narrations of this hadith, a time will come thereafter, or a people will come thereafter. Where people will be such that one of their testimonies will outdo their oath and their oath will outdo their testimony. What this means is there was a time when people were mindful of their pledges, of their trust, of their oaths, of their testimony. People wouldn't give false testimony. People would speak the truth. And these were the best of times. But then a time will come when people will not bother. And if you want someone's shahada, testimony, you can get it instantly. If you want someone's oath and vow, they will swear in the name of Allah and give you an oath. And it will be with such rapid succession that you can't tell what comes first. Someone's willingness, they will outdo themselves to offer testimony when no testimony is required. They will swear in the name of Allah and swear an oath when no oath is required. So that's the meaning of their oaths shall outdo their testimony and their testimony shall outdo their oath. So this is the meaning of this hadith here too, that people will be filtered, a thorough filtering, and then only the worst will remain, such that people, their pledges will become corrupt and confused. The meaning of corrupt and confused is people's pledges will amount to nothing. People's pledges, their trusts, their word, their promises will be false and corrupt. And they will be utterly confused in the sense that you will hardly be able to tell whether the person is honest and truthful. It'll be very difficult to distinguish. It's as simple as saying, you don't know who to trust. That's the meaning of قَدْ مَرِجَتْ عُحُودُهُمْ Their pledges will become corrupt and confused. وَخَفَّتْ أَمَانَاتُهُمْ Their trusts will be light, meaning meaningless. And then the Prophet ﷺ did this. And he said, and people will become like this. And then he locked his fingers. He demonstrated it. He locked his fingers. And with entwined, interweaving, locked fingers, he told the Sahaba, عنهم, people will become like this. And that doesn't mean people will be united. No. What it means is people will be engaged in intense conflict with each other. Conflict. Differences. Fighting. Disputes. Arguments. So Abdullah ibn Umar ibn al-As he said that when the Prophet said this, remember there was a group of Sahaba with him, he said, I stood up and I went to him and I said, Ya Rasulullah, when this happens, what should I do? May I be your ransom, O Messenger of Allah. What should I do at the time of such fitna? So the Prophet said to him in one narration, Ittaqillah. First of all, be wary of Allah. Be conscious of Allah. Be fearful of Allah. Observe taqwa in respect of Allah. 
That's one. Then Prophet said, Ilzam baytak. Wamlik alayka lisanak. Wakhud ma ta'rif. Wada' ma tunkir. وَعَلَيْكَ بِأَمْرِ خَاصَّةِ نَفْسِكَ وَدَعْ عَنْكَ عَمْرَ وَدَعْ عَنْكَ أَمْرَ الْعَوَامِ Prophet وسلم, said, First of all, fear Allah, be wary of Allah, observe, observe taqwa in respect of Allah. Number two, stick to your home. Stay at home. Now this doesn't mean that a person doesn't go anywhere. It's, it's a metaphor to explain that keep yourself to yourself as much as you can. Keep yourself to yourself. It's similar to another hadith related by Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi alayhi in his sunnah and also by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his musnad from Uqbat ibn Amir radiyallahu anhu. Uqbat ibn Amir radiyallahu anhu said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ya Rasulullah, man najah, what salvation, what's deliverance? How can I guarantee my safety, my salvation, my deliverance? What's salvation? So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said three things to him. Imlik alayka lisana. Control your tongue. What? Number two, let your house confine you. Let your house be sufficient for you. And number three, weep over your sins. So it's the same meaning. Control your tongue. Let your house confine you. Let it be sufficient for you, enough for you. You don't need to go here, there, and everywhere. Keep yourself to yourself. And number three, weep over your sins. So he said the same to Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As, that fear Allah, ilzam baytak, stick to your home. And control your tongue. Keep yourself to yourself, stay at home. That's the meaning of keep your, stay at home, keep yourself to yourself. Control your tongue. And then he continues. Take what you know and recognize. Leave what you don't know and don't recognize. Be safe, be sure. In what you take and accept in your religion. That's a meaning. What you don't recognize. What you don't know. Leave. And then the Prophet ﷺ said to him. And concern yourself with your own exclusive affair. And leave the matter of the people. Concern yourself with yourself. So indeed, this is the consistent message of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In another famous hadith, 
related by Imam Ibn Majah in his Sunan, also by Abu Dawood and Imam Tirmidhi. Abu Umayyah al-Sha'bani says that I approached Abu Tha'labah al-Khushani radiyallahu and the companion. And I said to him, what do you do with this verse? So Abu Tha'labah said, which verse? So he said the verse of the Qur'an, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu alaykum anfusakum la yadurrukum man dalla idha ahtadaytum. That, O believers, concern yourselves with yourselves. Those who deviate cannot harm you, as long as you have found guidance. Now the reason for Abu Umayyah questioning Abu Tha'labah about this verse, that what, how do we understand this verse? The reason for asking him was simply this, that apparently... The verse can give a message that you should not enjoin the good and forbid the evil. You shouldn't advise others to do good. You shouldn't enjoin good. You shouldn't try to guide others to do good or encourage them or discourage them, persuade and dissuade them. But rather, forget the people, concern yourself with yourself. So this verse can be misunderstood. And in fact, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu an actually address this. He said, oh people, you are misapplying this verse. I, those of you who are, who understand this verse to mean that you shouldn't enjoin the good and forbid the evil. You shouldn't give that, you shouldn't encourage and discourage, persuade and dissuade. But just forget everyone else and concern yourself with yourself. So there is a possibility that this verse can be misunderstood. So this is why Abu Umayyah questioned Abu Tha'labah So Abu Tha'labah said, Indeed you have asked one who has knowledge. Because I asked the Prophet about the same verse myself. So the Prophet said, No. You should, nay, you should enjoin the good. And you should forbid the evil until that you should enjoin the good and forbid the evil until you see greed which is followed, desire which is obeyed. The world, which has always given preference, and the conceit, the self-conceit of a possessor of an opinion, with his own opinion. And until you see an affair in which you have no control or power, then when that happens, that when that happens, what you should do is concern yourself with yourself. You should concern yourself with yourself and leave the people. Leave the affair, leave the affair of the people. 
And that's exactly what the Prophet said to Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As that concern yourself with yourself. فَعَلَيْكَ بِأَمْرِ خَاصَّةِ نَفْسِكَ وَدَعَ عَنْكَ أَمْرَ الْعَامِ That leave aside the affair of the people. Concern yourself with yourself. So in many ahadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has consistently given this message. Concern yourself with yourself. Especially at the time of fitna. Especially at the time of Discord, strife, confusion, scandal, conflict. And part of concerning yourself with yourself is these things that the Prophet ﷺ said. Keep yourself to yourself, control your tongue. And this is why in another hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, this hadith relates by Imam Malik in his Muwatta, Imam Ahmed as well in his Musnad, that from... Al-Husayn ibn, ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib, the Prophet sallallahu grandson. He said that the Prophet sallallahu said, min husn islam ma la of the goodness of a man's Islam is his leaving that which doesn't concern him. A very beautiful hadith. It's also related by Imam Abu Dawood, by Imam Tirmidhi, from Abu Hurairah radiyallahu So the hadith is related from two companions, Abu Hurairah as well as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa grandson radiyallahu anhuma. Min husni islam al-mar'i tarkuhu ma la ya'nihi. Many ulama have said, many ulama, that this hadith is one of the foundations of Islam. Imam Abu Dawood rahmatullahi alayhi, he actually said that I have compiled 4,000, meaning over 4,000 hadith in his sunnah, in his collection of hadith, sunnah. He said, I have collected 4,000 hadith, meaning over 4,000. And he said, of these 4,000 hadith, all of them revolve around just four hadith. And these four hadith are sufficient for a man in his faith. And this hadith he mentioned as being one of them. Other ulama have said, this hadith is one of the four foundations of Islam. Others have said, it's one of the three foundations of Islam. Some have called it a third of Islam. Some have called it a quarter of Islam. Some have actually gone to the extent of saying, this is all of Islam. And this is why we should actually memorize this hadith and constantly remind ourselves of it. Of the goodness of a man's Islam is his leaving that which doesn't concern This is true, whether it's a time of fitna or not. Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam have taught us to mind our own business, to concern ourselves with ourselves. To be, not to become involved in anything and everything. Not to make a contribution by speaking about anything and everything. Controlling one's tongue is part of this. We have a habit. We have to say something. 
Imam Malik also relates that in his Muwatta he relates that Luqman there's a difference of opinion about Luqman. Who was Luqman? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala quotes him in the Quran. And Allah says that indeed we gave, we bestowed hikmah, wisdom on Luqman. And then Allah quotes some of his words of wisdom in the Quran. The whole surah is named after him. So who was Luqman? There is actually a genuine difference of opinion amongst the scholars of Islam as to whether he was a prophet of Allah or whether he was just a pious servant whom Allah honoured with wisdom and knowledge and whom Allah mentioned in the Quran and Allah actually cited his wisdom. In any case, Imam Malik relates in his Muwatta that Luqman was approached by someone and said to him that what gave you this rank? What elevated you to this position that Allah has given you of greatness, of wisdom, of knowledge? So Luqman said three things. Sidq al-Hadith wa ada'u al-Amana wa tarku ma la ya'nini He said three things have elevated me to this rank. And what, what rank it was? Many ulama say he wasn't a prophet of Allah. But he was a pious servant whom Allah endowed with knowledge and wisdom. But Allah elevated him to such a rank that Allah has mentioned him in the Quran. Allah has cited his words of advice for the whole of creation to the Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So what elevated him to that rank? He said three things. One, truthful speech. Two, honouring my pledge and trust. And number three, leaving that which doesn't concern me. <clears throat> in fact, in some ahadith, we learn about more than one person that a person died. Or in other cases, it was just mentioned about someone that indeed he is one of the people of Jannah. So the Prophet said, what do you know that he is one of the people of Jannah? Maybe he spoke or he engaged in that which didn't concern him. Subhanallah. The Prophet ﷺ denied. He prevented others from giving such a testimony about other people, whether living or dead, that they are of the people of Jannah. Rasulullah ﷺ said, or one of the things he said was, what do you know that he is of the people of Jannah? And one of the reasons he gave was, maybe, and this is something you don't know, maybe he spoke or was engaged in that which didn't concern him. Speaking about something that doesn't concern us can actually prevent a person from Jannah. This is a testimony of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Concern yourself with yourself. The culture of Islam is very different. It truly is. It's quite removed from what we are accustomed to. We jealously and passionately guard our own privacy. But we are forever intruding 
and encroaching on the privacy of others. We don't want anyone to know about us, but we want to know about everything and everyone else. This insatiable appetite for salacious gossip, social media, news, who's doing what. We're not talking about practical, informative, educational, useful, meaningful news. We're talking about salacious gossip, scandalous talk. We would never want anyone to speak about us in those terms or come to know about our private affairs in that manner. But we want to know about everything and everyone else. What interests the public is not necessarily in the public interest. Allah and His Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam have told us so much which in a single stroke, in a single sweep, removes much of what we are accustomed to. This idea of investigating others. What he said, what she said. What he does, what he did, what she did. Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam have forbidden it. Completely. Privacy is one of the greatest rights that Allah has bestowed upon the creation. And Allah and His Rasul وسلم, have taught us to guard not only our own privacy, but to guard the privacy of others. Do not intrude the privacy of others. There's that famous story about Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu Whilst he was Amir al-Mu'mineen, he was patrolling. We don't have time, but I've mentioned this story on numerous occasions, referred to Surah al-Hujarat, the seed of Surah al-Hujarat, and when I've spoken about not being suspicious and entertaining a good opinion and not investigating what I did just to listen to it in that context. But Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam have instructed us to guard our own privacy and to guard the privacy of others. Which means we shouldn't investigate, we shouldn't speculate, we shouldn't talk about these things, we shouldn't eavesdrop, we shouldn't research about one another in this way. Once you do it, you can't keep it to yourself. It's inevitable that you will share it with others. Then it becomes gossip, it becomes backbiting, it becomes calumny, it becomes bohdan false allegation and these are major sins in Islam Islam has attached great significance to the products of the tongue Islam considers our thoughts and our speech to be deeds. Islam considers our thoughts and our speech to be deeds. I.e. there's no distinction. We, we tend to distinguish between action, practical, physical deeds, and speech and thoughts. Thoughts are harmless. 
Speech is harmless. As long as you don't do anything, that's not true. So, one consequence of this concept of distinguishing between speech and deeds is that for some reason we tend to tolerate people abusing one another. And it's almost like, look, sticks and stones break bones but words never hurt. So as long as a person is just talking, let them talk, it doesn't matter. You shouldn't react. If someone lays a finger on another, then there's an uproar. Why? His body is sacrosanct. Sacrosanct. His body is sacred. You can't touch another person. It's a sin. It's haram to hit another person. This is no justification. I'm just saying that. There's an immediate uproar if someone raises a hand to another. But prior to that, even though there's a long history of verbal, mental and emotional abuse, it's not considered abuse. Whereas in Islam, there's no distinction. Abuse is abuse. It's only now that people are, even in psychology, it's only now that psychiatrists, psychologists are beginning to equate all forms of abuse. Whereas hitherto, until recently, there was a distinction between physical abuse and emotional, mental and verbal abuse wasn't even recognised. Now it's recognised that mental and emotional and verbal abuse can actually be far more dangerous than physical abuse. It's insidious. It's more, it's longer lasting. And its effects are long-term because it attacks one's psyche and emotions and actual mental, mental well-being. So in Islam, there is no distinction between the deeds of the body and the deeds and actions of the tongue and the deeds and actions of the mind and the deeds and actions of the heart. All of these are considered a'mal. They are considered deeds. This is why from the very beginning, let me give you a perfect example, Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim both relate a hadith, that someone said, uh, sorry, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, إِنَّ مِنْ أَكْبَرِ الْكَبَائِرِ أَنْ يَلْعَنَ الرَّجْلُ وَالِدَيْهِ قِيلَ يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهُ وَكَيْفَ يَلْعَنُ الرَّجْلُ وَالِدَيْهِ قَالَ يَسُبُّ الرَّجْلُ أَبَى الرَّجْلُ فَيَسُبُّ أَبَاهُ وَأُمَّهُ He said, indeed, one of the greatest of the major sins is that a man curses his own parents. So the Sahaba said, Ya Rasulullah, how can a man curse his own parents? So the Prophet wasallam said, a man verbally abuses and swears at the father of another man. So he in retaliation, he in turn, swears at his father and his mother. So what the Prophet ﷺ is saying is, A, swore at B's father. B, in his anger, retaliated by swearing at A's father as well as mother. He actually transgressed. But in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ doesn't even speak about or judge B. 
He blames A. Of course, it has to be understood in the wider context. It doesn't mean this person is harmless. He, has, he bears his sin for what he did, especially for transgressing. But in the context of the hadith, Rasulullah speaks only about the first one and says, he is responsible for cursing and swearing at and abusing his own father and mother. When the Sahaba said, how can a man abuse his own parents? He said, he became the cause. So what the Prophet did is that he looked at the provocation. He looked at the history. He looked at the precedent. He looked at what came before. So in Islam, there is no concept of sticks and stones break bones and words never hurt. No. Words are deeds. Thoughts are deeds. And bodily actions are deeds. Which means that part of a person's being a good Muslim is that one leaves that which doesn't concern him, i.e. in action, in deed, in thought, in emotions, in feelings, and especially in speech. We are very unguarded when it comes to speech. See, to commit, to perform an action, a bodily action, it requires energy, strength, time, effort, motivation, incentive. It takes a lot to do something. To speak hardly requires much effort. So we tend to wag our tongues. We just have to say something. Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhumah. Imam Malik again relates that Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhumah. He was once at home. Patching his sandals. So he was repairing his sandals. So a man came to visit him. And when he saw him repairing his sandals. He said to him. Oh Abu Abdul Rahman. He said. Why don't you get rid of these sandals. Instead of repairing them and patching them, why don't you get rid of them and get other ones? So <laughs> Abdullah ibn Umar said to him, Did my sandals bring you here? Mind your own business. And that was Abdullah ibn Umar. He said, Did my sandals bring you here? Mind your own business. <coughs> I quite simply, it didn't concern him. We have habits of always speaking. We have to say something. We have to make a comment. We have to judge. We have to offer an opinion. We have to make a contribution. We have to say something. All of this is part of that which doesn't concern us. And this is why it's actually mentioned by many scholars that if someone considers, this is what I was saying about speech being deeds, that if someone regards their speech as being deeds, they will be, me, they will be more mindful and watchful of what they say. And they will ensure that they do not say and utter that which doesn't concern them. It's very easy to speak about things which don't concern. Leave people be. Just like this man who came to Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah. We have to make a comment. 
we have to comment about people's homes, people's clothing, the way people dress, the way people look, what people do, how they speak. It's, part, it's in our nature. We have to say something. We wouldn't want anyone else talking about us, judging us, commenting on our behaviour, speech, appearance. Why do we want to do the same for others? So, and as the Prophet ﷺ said in these hadith of Uqbat uh, ibn Amir and Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Aas, control your tongue, control your tongue. Control your tongue. And this is specifically in times of fitna. And there's no better example of this than the story of Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha when <coughs> she was falsely accused by the hypocrites of being unfaithful to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Allah revealed verses of the Holy Qur'an of Surah An-Nur in this regard. And I've commented on this in thorough detail uh, from the hadith of Sahih al-Bukhari. So do refer to that. But just to briefly mention that Umm Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha was falsely accused by the hypocrites originally of being unfaithful to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Islam doesn't even have this concept of there's no smoke without fire. In Islam, this is invalid too. There is no concept in Islam of there is no smoke without fire. Remember, for an allegation, there has to be some substance. And that's the smoke. For a false allegation, there has to be some substance. This reminds me of a humorous story where there was a poor worker in India recently. To- extremely poor, totally impoverished. He was a manual labourer. Fed himself and his family and lived a hand-to-mouth existence. And what someone had done is committed identity fraud. So they'd taken his name. And he, the poor chap, was illiterate in this regard. So someone committed identity fraud, took his identity, and used it to commit fraud in the millions. Opening up bank accounts, taking money from here and there. And this lasted for a few years. Eventually, after investigations, it came to him, and lo and behold... This chap is working on the streets of India, totally impoverished, and it just didn't add up. So, of course, here everyone accepted that he was innocent, even though investigations could have led him to being convicted, accused, convicted, and imprisoned. But there was no substance. There was absolutely nothing to show it. So no one. The, the point I'm trying to make is that no one believed it. And no one would believe it because it just doesn't add up. So to make a false allegation, there has to be some substance. 
Now that substance is always there. And that's what we call smoke. But the saying, there is no smoke without fire. Or that that's the fire. So the saying, there is no smoke without fire, means that wherever there's a little, then we automatically conclude that yes, this must be true. In the case of Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha, did the hypocrites just wake up one morning and out of the blue and rather randomly hurl a false allegation against Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha? Of course not. No one would have believed it. So where's the test then? There's no test. There is always some substance which people call the fire. And then they automatically conclude from that that there must be the smoke of scandal. Of course there was some substance. So what did the hypocrites rely on? This is what the munafiqun relied on. Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha was held back on the journey. Her hoda, her hodaj, was lifted up, and since she was light, the carriers, the bearers, did not realize that she wasn't in because she had gone to answer the call of nature. So Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha got left behind, and the caravan moved along. People didn't realize that she was missing till much later. One of the companions, Safan ibn Mu'addal, he was appointed to remain behind the caravan, just as some would be sent ahead as scouts, others would be kept behind to look out for stragglers and for lost property and uh, anyone in need of help. So he arrived and he eventually helped Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha. Both of them, Safwan ibn al-Mu'addal and Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anhuma, came into the camp, just the two of them, much later. That was the substance. This is what the munafiqun relied on. It wasn't just a random allegation. This was a test. This is why I say, that was a fire. According to the saying that there's no smoke without fire. But to immediately jump to the conclusion that a sin was committed. That speculation, that false allegation, that's completely haram. So again, in Islam there's no concept of there's no smoke without fire. Unless you have proof, don't say a word, don't speculate, don't think about it. Furthermore, as I explained on that occasion in the, uh, in the commentary of the story of the great lie, as well as in my commentary of Surah Al-Hujarat, unless you are directly involved, you don't even have a right to think about it or to speak about it or to discuss it. You have no right. It doesn't concern you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Hujarat 
يا أيها الذين آمنوا إن جاءكم فاسق بنبأ فتبينوا أن تصيبوا قوم بجهالة فتصبحوا على ما فعلتم نادمين أو believers If a sinful person comes to you with any news فتبينوا and investigate clarify the matter ascertain the truth verify the facts lest you inflict harm upon the people without realizing now that verse is not universally applicable it doesn't mean that in every situation you need to go out and investigate and research it doesn't only in those things that concern you i if you if you're at work an employee has been accused of misappropriating funds of misdemeanors at the workplace Now, what should be your response? Does the Qur'an tell you go out and investigate and research and verify the facts and ascertain the truth before you make a judgment, before you make a comment? No. Islam's teaching is, look, it doesn't concern you. You're a co-worker. It has no effect on you. You are not responsible. You don't need to come to a decision or a judgment about it. So there's no reason for you to go and investigate. Who should, so who does this verse apply to? It doesn't apply to everyone. It applies to those for whom it's relevant. I.e., in this case, who would it be? It would be the employer, the owner of the business, the one senior. So what the Qur'anic teaching is, is that the senior person shouldn't just dismiss the person outright based on an allegation. And most people do this. They carry out their research. They conduct their investigation. They try to reach the facts before making a decision. But not everyone's involved in the process. Only those who are responsible. Only those for whom it's relevant. Only those... Whom it concerns. And this is why when the fitna arose, because this was a fitna, fitna, a test, it was a test for the believers of Medina, for the Muslims. What did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tell the believers? Did Allah tell the Muslims of Medina, look, when you heard this rumor, you see what happened initially, the hypocrites, they are the ones who instigated this rumor. But then as the news spread, unfortunately, some Muslims, honest, sincere Muslims, in a momentary lapse, they also entertained this gossip. They spoke of it and they repeated it to others. So did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tell the believers, look, when this rumor was spread, you should have first of all verified the facts and ascertained the truth. No. Again, 
There's no concept in Islam of he or she is a public figure and therefore I have a right to know everything about him. Who could be more public than the wife of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha was the wife of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The daughter of his closest companion, of his second in command, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiyallahu anha. If there was a scandal, that scandal affected the Prophet ﷺ directly. He wasn't just a prophet. He was the leader of Medina, the political leader. He was their chief, he was their commander-in-chief. He was the supreme figure in every sense, militarily, judicially, legally, politically. Who could be more public than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam? And I say all of this even for the non-Muslims. So those non-Muslims who resided in Medina at the time, although they didn't accept him as a prophet of Allah, they still accepted him as a political, military and judicial leader. In fact, some of the non-Muslims, when they would have their own common disputes, they would actually go to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam for arbitration and for judgment. So who, who could have been more public than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam? His household affairs, some could have argued, were a public matter because they concerned the public. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said no. Allah didn't say, oh believers, go, you should have gone out and investigated the matter. No. The, the teaching of Allah is so... Categorical in this regard, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Lola Why wasn't it that when you heard this rumor and this allegation and this gossip, believing men and believing women thought good of themselves? And why didn't they just say, This is a clear lie? What's the teaching of Allah? Again, concern yourselves with yourselves. Concern yourselves with yourselves. And then later Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, in the same context, إِذْ تَلَقَّوْنَهُ بِأَلْسِنَتِكُمْ وَتَقُولُونَ بِأَفْوَاهِكُمْ مَا لَيْسَ لَكُمْ بِهِ عِلْمٍ وَتَحْسَبُونَهُ هَيَّنَا وَهُوَ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ عَظِيمٍ وَلَوْلَا إِذْ سَمِعْتُمُوهُ قُلْتُمْ مَا يَكُونُ لَنَا أَن نَتَكَلَّمَ بِهَذَا سُبْحَانَكَ هَذَا بُهْتَانٌ عَظِيمٌ Allah says, remember when you were receiving it, this news, this gossip, with your tongues, and you were saying with your mouths that of which you had no knowledge, and you thought this to be light, whereas it was grave with Allah. By Allah, this was immense and grave. Why wasn't it that when you heard this, قلتم, why didn't you say, ما يكون لنا أن نتكلم بهذا? It is not lawful for us, it is not permissible for us to even speak of it. And your response should have been, Subhanak. May you be glorified, O oh Allah. هذا بُهْتَانُ عَظِيمٌ This is a great calumny. This is a great allegation. This is the teaching of the Qur'an. That it's not even permissible for you. It's not even lawful for you to speak about it, to discuss it. 
Concern yourself with yourself. Even in this, don't look at others, look at yourself. And the meaning of why didn't believing men and believing women think of themselves, very beautiful. Which means that when you hear something about someone else, think about yourselves first. Judge yourselves first. Focus on yourselves first. So if someone tells you that A did this, First of all, does it concern me? No. There's no point, it's not permissible, it's not lawful for me to engage in it, to discuss it, to talk about it. Two, I should look at myself. One of the meanings of looking at myself is, would I commit that sin? Would I commit that sin? If the answer is no, then how arrogant is it of you that you consider yourself so pious and pure that you wouldn't commit it, but you believe about others that they would commit it. And this is why, even before this verse was revealed, the Sahaba عنهم, already acted on it. Abu Ayyub al-Ansari and it's also mentioned about Abu Ayyub al-Ka'b So Abu Ayyub al-Ansari what he did is that he was seated at home with his wife Ummu Ayyub al-Ansariya she said to him, Oh Abu Ayyub, have you heard about Aisha and Safwan? What happened? So Abu Ayyub al-Ansari radiyallahu an said to her, Would you do this? I.e. would you commit the same sin? So Ummu Ayyub al-Ansari radiyallahu anha immediately, she was scandalized. She forcefully protested her innocence. One can imagine the reaction that, oh, would you do this? So you can imagine the reaction of Umm Ayyub al-Ansariya. So following her reaction, Abu Ayyub al-Ansari, her husband, calmly said, minki. Then Aisha is far, far better than you. If you do not believe this about yourself, how can you believe it about her? This is a beautiful meaning of when you heard this, why didn't believing men and believing women think of themselves, think good of themselves? So all of the teachings of Allah and His Rasul wasallam are about concern yourselves with yourselves. This is part of the goodness of a man's Islam. This is what makes a Muslim a good Muslim. It saves him. It protects him. Because the less you speak, the less you get involved in other people's affairs. The more you concern yourself with yourself and keep yourself to yourself, the safer you are. You will not have to answer for anything. Everything that we do, we have to answer for. Allah says in Surah, in Surah Qaf, مَا يَلْفِذُ مِنْ قَوْلٍ إِلَّا لَدَيْهِ رَقِيبٌ That man does not spit. Man does not spit. A single word, a single saying, except that there is a monitor present and ready to record what he says. Every word, you know, we are so conscious about privacy, I was mentioning at the beginning. And part of that passionate and jealous defense of privacy is that we don't want anyone spying on us. 
We don't want anyone recording what we have said. We don't want anyone capturing our speech. But subhanAllah, Allah's angels are forever recording every deed of ours, every utterance of ours. And as Allah says in this verse, he does not spit a single word. And the words are ma yilfid. You may know in Asian languages what's the meaning of a word, loves. In Urdu, in other Asian languages, what's the meaning of a word, loves. Where does it come from? Arabic. Lafadha yilfid or lafdha. Originally, what does love mean in Arabic? It means to spit. So that's what we do. He does not utter, meaning he does not spit a single word. We should realize that it's not just the natural flow of speech from our tongues that's innocent. Every word that comes out of our mouths is an utterance, it's a spitting, it's a conscious, active deed on our part. We strain ourselves and we take it out. We spit it out. We throw it out. And it doesn't just disappear or dissipate. No. An angel, a monitor, is ever ready, ever present to record it. And then on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, every word will be played back to us. Every single word. This is why in a hadith, great by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, Rahmatullah, Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Man kan yu'minu billahi wal yawm al-akhir, Whoever believes in Allah and in the final day, then let him say something good, otherwise hold his silence. Beautiful hadith. Otherwise hold his silence. It doesn't cost anything to remain silent. This was the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He wouldn't speak about anything and everything. This is a sunnah of the ulama and the pious of the sunnah. They would observe silence, engage in the dhikr of Allah, in the recitation of the Qur'an. Not just for an hour of the day at home, no. Whilst walking, whilst travelling, whilst working, they would be silent and engage in the tasbih and the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They would only open their mouths to say something good. And acting on this hadith, it's a beautiful hadith. Whoever believes in Allah and in the final day, let him say something good, otherwise remain silent. Hold your peace, hold your silence. Hadith after hadith says the same thing. What did he say to Abdullah ibn Amd ibn al-As? Fear Allah, stick to your home, imlik alayka lisanak, control your tongue. What did he say to Uqbat ibn Amir when he said, Man najah? What salvation? He said, Imlik alayka lisanak, control your tongue, hold your tongue. Let your home confine you, be enough for you, and weep over your sins. Concern yourself with yourself. You are only going to have to answer to Allah for yourself on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, not anybody and everyone else. To be involved in everyone else's business, it's a waste of time, and at times it can not just be a frivolous, vain act, it can actually be sinful, especially if you are intruding 
and encroaching on someone's privacy if you are engaging in sinful speculation, thought or gossip, allegations and uh, speech. Backbiting, for instance. This is why in one hadith related by Imam Tirmidhi in his Sunan, subhanAllah, Mu'adh ibn Jabal says, I was travelling with Rasulullah when I riding with him when I drew up close, so much so that my knees were touching his knees, meaning my, my legs were touching his legs, thighs, thighs. This is an explanation of the hadith. So he said, Ya Rasulullah, tell me something which will bring me close to Jannah and distance me from the fire. Prophet said, Oh Mu'adh, what you've asked for is great, it's immense, it truly is. But it's easy for whomever Allah wishes it to be easy and makes it easy. Then the Prophet said so much. He spoke about salah, and he spoke about the pillars of Islam and worship. He spoke about prayer at night and the hajjah. And he spoke about many things. Then he said, O oh Mu'adh, should I not tell you? Should I not inform you of something? which is the root and which encompasses all of the above. So he mentioned so much of the good deeds of Islam and what should be avoided. And then he said, should I not inform you of something that encompasses all of the above? So Mu'adh said, of course, Ya Rasulullah. So the Prophet physically took hold of his tongue. He actually held his tongue. And he said, withhold your tongue. Control your tongue. So Mu'adh said, Ya Rasulullah, will we be seized and held to account for what our tongues utter? So the Prophet said, And there is nothing else which flings people flat on their faces into the fire of Jahannam except the harvest of their tongues. Harvest. So the words are hasaidu al-sinatihim, hasaids, plural of hasida, which means harvest, what we reap. So the Prophet ﷺ described our speech as our harvest, because it doesn't disappear. It's not forgotten. Every single word is record, recorded, it accumulates, and our produce, our produce, our harvest, what we have reaped, will be present on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Every single word. And in fact, in one hadith of Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal in his Musnad, the wording of the hadith is, it is part, it is of the goodness of a man's Islam that he speaks little of that which concerns him. Or he, sorry, not little, but he leaves speaking of that which doesn't concern him. So not just general, that he leaves what doesn't concern him, but it's specifically said, part of the goodness of a man's Islam is his leaving, talking and discussing that which doesn't concern him. I suffice with this. I spoke about fitna and one of the greatest defences against fitna, against scandal against being sinful and against being caught up in the fire of fitna on any occasion at any time is 
to concern oneself with oneself, which means not to become involved, to keep oneself to oneself, control one's tongue, not to contribute in any way to the fitna by being involved, by speaking about it, by discussing it, especially at the time of scandal. And the perfect example is what Allah says in Surah An-Nur about the story of Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha. That was a fitna, that was a test. And Allah says, it wasn't even lawful for you to speak about it, to discuss it. And one who adopts this attitude will be safe in his religion. Will be safe, protected in their religion. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to understand. Before I end, let me just mention one or two verses of the Qur'an. In Surah Al-Mu'minun, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قَدْ أَفْلِحُ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنِ اللَّغْوِ مُعْرِضُونَ Indeed, successful are those believers who are devout in their prayer. And those who, Allah mentions a number of attributes. The second attribute is, وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنِ اللَّغْوِ مُعْرِضُونَ Those who turn away from vanity, i.e. futility, frivolity, things that don't concern them, they turn away from them. Imam Nasi and others relate from Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha. She was asked, what was the character of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam? She said his character was the Qur'an. And then she recited these verses of Surah Al-Mu'minun. And she said, this was a character of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So what was the second attribute? Just as Umm al Aisha radiallahu anha says, just as Allah says, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, along with being devout and concentrating in his prayer, he would turn away and ignore and shun all vanity, futility and frivolity. Anything that didn't concern him, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had nothing to do with. This was a character of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In fact, Allah mentions this in Surah Al-Furqan, where Allah speaks of his chosen servants. Rahman, The servants of Rahman, the gracious ones, are those. And then he, he says, Those who, do, who are not present at falsehood, any form of falsehood, they are not present. And... وَإِذَا مَرُّوا بِاللَّغْوِ مَرُّوا كِرَامًا When they pass by vanity and frivolity and futility, how do they pass? مَرُّوا كِرَامًا They pass by in a dignified, noble, honourable manner. Anything which doesn't concern them, the true servants of Rahman just pass by in a very noble, dignified manner. This is the character of the believer. Allah and His Rasul have taught us to leave that which doesn't concern us in thought, in speech, and in deed. May Allah make us amongst such servants. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasooli nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayhi.